welcome to Season 3 of Homeschool Talk with HCS. That's Heritage Christian School in San Diego, a private Christian home education umbrella program, or PSP, serving homeschooling families nationwide since 1988. I am the show producer, Lilia Sepulveda. Now please welcome your host, HCS principal, in the 30th year of her homeschooling journey, Vicki Sermoen. Hello and welcome to another episode of Homeschool Talk with HCS. I am your host, Vicki Sturmowen, and I'm excited to be kicking off another homeschooling year with you all. I'm still in the trenches with you with two of my own kids who I'm still homeschooling, and I have to say that after 30 years of doing this, I am still just as committed and excited about homeschooling as I ever was. It was definitely the best decision we ever made educationally for our kids. Well, for those of you who are just starting out on this journey, you will soon realize the world of homeschooling comes complete with its own jargon and terminology. And some of that has to do with what's referred to as your homeschooling approach or philosophy. In today's episode, I wanna give you a very broad overview of some of the more common terms and definitions that pop up in these kinds of conversations. So you can begin to understand what people are talking about. I also want to give you some curriculum publishers that may work well with some of the different approaches, and hopefully by the end of this podcast, those terms and conversations won't be quite so foreign to you. Well, depending on what article or podcaster or book you're reading or listening to, there are a differing number of homeschool approaches in the homeschooling world. I'm going to limit the scope of this podcast to what I think are the most common ones, um, or at least the ones that are more commonly discussed in the conversations I have, and those would be the following seven. Uh, Number one, and this is in no particular order, but number one, traditional, two, classical, three, Charlotte Mason, four, Montessori. Five, university model, six, eclectic, and seven, unschooling, which differs from de-schooling, and I'll explain that in a bit. But let's start with what's probably most familiar, which is a traditional approach to homeschooling. The traditional approach is what most parents are familiar with because it is very likely the way you were educated in a brick-and-mortar school. It's textbook and worksheet-based. It comes with detailed teacher's manuals, a very clear scope and sequence, The lesson plans are pretty much all laid out for you, and it's very structured. It's a pick-up-and-go approach in the sense that all the planning and scheduling is done, and it's usually packaged all together, leaving you with an easy click-and-buy approach to getting all the curriculum you need for that year. Some popular traditional homeschool publishers include places like Abeka, Bob Jones University, Horizons, and Saxon. Many of those um, traditional publishers already include the daily and or weekly schedules written out for you. If you were attending a traditional private school down the street, odds are they're using one of those publishers. Number two on the list is classical education. Classical education focuses on teaching kids how to think. One of the more defining and distinguishing elements of classical education is its use of the trivium, which basically um, divides education into three distinct learning categories, the grammar stage, the logic or dialectic stage, and the rhetoric stage. The grammar stage is seen as roughly from birth to about 12 years old. This is also known as the knowledge stage, and it's focused on the accumulation of facts and data. 
The logic stage, which is approximately 12 to 15 years old, is also known as the understanding age. This is where you then take all those facts that you've accumulated in the grammar stage and begin to arrange and analyze it in a more reasoned way. And then the rhetoric stage, which is approximately 16 to 18 years old, is also known as the wisdom stage. This is the stage where you take all that knowledge and understanding and begin applying it to real life in a practical way. Communication skills and application are the focus for this stage. These are very rough age categories, and classical educators agree that some students pass on or remain in one of the other stages according to their individual capabilities and development. Um, There's also an overlapping of stages, meaning that once you leave the grammar stages, once you leave the grammar stage, you're not just done accumulating facts, but the emphasis of education shifts depending on what stage the student is in. Some publishers that many classical educators use include places like Veritas Press, Memoria Press, Classical Conversations. For history, things like Story of the World or just things that are studying history in a um, chronological way rather than in arbitrary chunks would be considered a classical approach. Uh, For English, Shirley English is a popular choice for classical educators, and those are just some places to start if you're looking into the world of classical education. Uh, classical curriculum. Number three is Charlotte Mason. First of all, who was Charlotte Mason? Well, she was a British educator in the late 1800s, early 1900s, and her basic tenet of education was that children learn best from real-life situations and experiences, not in a classroom. She firmly believed that we must educate the whole child, not just his mind. Some common features of Charlotte Mason education include the use of living books over textbooks, uh, keeping nature journals, notebooking, narration, and dictation exercises, and including art, music, and poetry into the overall education plan. The Charlotte Mason approach takes a three-pronged view of education, where, quote, education is an atmosphere, a discipline, a life, an end quote. In other words, education is more than the lesson of the day. Instead, Charlotte Mason seeks to help parents shape and develop a child's character, values, and habits, as well as providing an education. Some curriculum that appeals to those following a Charlotte Mason approach include places like Heart of Dakota, Life of Fred and Singapore Math are popular Charlotte Mason choices um, for, for, for math, learning language arts through literature, First language lessons, not grass, history, beautiful feet, apologia, elementary science series. These are just some of the of the choices that come up um, in the Charlotte Mason setting. There's obviously a lot more, but I will stop there. Number four, Montessori approach. Maria Montessori was the first woman to graduate with an MD in Italy, and it's after her that this approach is so named. Dr. Montessori believed that children learn best when they are the ones determining what to learn. The Montessori approach emphasizes movement, sensory engagement, think kinesthetic learners, and places a strong priority on children being the decision makers in not only their education, but their schedules and choices. The thinking behind that is that by allowing children to make their own decisions now, they will become better decision makers as adults. The Montessori approach isn't for everyone. According to the Montessori notebook, quote, if you are laissez-faire at home where your child can do what they like, eat what they want, go to bed as they wish, they may find the limits of the Montessori classroom too constraining. And if you're strict at home and your child is used to cooperating via rewards, stickers, and times outs, time outs, they could find it difficult to control themselves with the freedom in the Montessori classroom. 
So I guess if you're somewhere between those two descriptions, it would be a good fit. Montessori really has their own kind of curriculum, and it's not something you're going to readily find in a normal homeschool curriculum catalog. A good place to go if you're wanting more information about Montessori curriculum is christianmontessoritraining.org. That's all one word, all spelled out, christianmontessoritraining.org. Number five, the university model. So this one is a little newer on the scene. And while it was likely used, it wasn't coined as a defined approach back when I started this journey in the early 90s. And really, it isn't an an approach so much as it is a structure. What the university model has come to mean in recent years is basically a hybrid approach to homeschooling, where a student is taking outside classes maybe one to two days a week, and then doing all the homework for that class at home under the supervision of the parents. As more and more families are pulling out of public schools and are trying to find ways to make homeschooling work, the university model has provided a great option for them, either because both parents are working or they just need a year or two of someone else doing the heavy lifting in certain subjects until they build their own confidence and see how it all actually works out. The university model also works great for parents who are not confident they can teach some of the more challenging subjects at a high school level, and they can just have someone else do it while they take on managing the home environment in such a way as to ensure all the work is really getting done. This model generally comes with a price tag beyond just the curriculum because it involves other people investing in and teaching your children. And there's really nothing to say here in terms of curriculum publishers because it's the teachers of whatever class you're outsourcing that is making that decision for you. Number six, eclectic. If you categorize yourself as being an eclectic homeschooler, it basically just means you are pulling from more than one of the various approaches and structures and piecing together your own customized package for your student. Maybe you're following a classical approach for history, a Charlotte Mason approach for science, a traditional approach for math, and a university model for English. Eclectic does not mean disorganized, no planning, or chaotic. In fact, most eclectic homeschoolers have very detailed and intentional plans for their students, mixing and matching from a variety of publishers and options to create a package especially tailored for that student. Some people mistakenly think eclectic homeschoolers do not use curriculum, which generally speaking is not true. Eclectic homeschoolers typically use a wide range of curriculum and materials from all over the place. I think some people confuse eclectic with eccentric, and that's where some of the confusion comes into play. Eclectic isn't an unconventional approach. It's an intentional mixed bag approach. And for obvious reasons, I can't list typical curriculum under this category because there isn't any typical curriculum that's used. It could be curriculum from any approach, any philosophy, and any publisher. Number seven is unschooling. Unschooling was a term originally coined by educator and homeschool advocate John Holt in the 70s, but um, in recent, more recent years, it's taken on a few different names. It's also known um, as natural learning or experience-based learning or independent learning, but it basically operates on the principle that children are naturally curious and desire to learn. Unschoolers tend to not use any curriculum, but rather follow the interests and questions of their children as they naturally arise just by living life. Unschooling parents um, allow their children the freedom to pursue their own interests and to learn in their own ways what they need or want to know to follow those interests. Every part of everyday life is part of their education. Going to the grocery store, going to the bank, 
basically the entire retail industry, all those things delve into questions kids will naturally ask. And then the parents are teaching the kids the answers to those questions that they cared to ask in the first place. Unschooling parents are not hands-off, which is one of the misconceptions of this approach. They are highly engaged, waiting to pounce on whatever direction, question, or interest the child has. And then they gather the resources and jump into that topic and explore it thoroughly together. Things are not learned according to any scope and sequence in an unschooling family. Reading happens when the kid is interested enough to want to learn how to read. Uh, Same with math or any other subject. Some topics may never get covered if the student doesn't show an interest in that topic. It is very much student-directed learning with parents providing the resources and instruction that relates to what the student is interested in or questioning. And I should probably mention that many unschoolers object to this being categorized as a homeschooling approach and would argue rather that it's a lifestyle approach. And again, for obvious reasons, there's really no curriculum to list here because unless the child specifically asks for it, formal curriculum is rarely, if ever, used. Unschooling is not to be confused with de-schooling, which is another relatively new um, term on the scene that has arisen in the past three or so years. De-schooling refers to the period of time a family undergoes when they leave the traditional school environment for the homeschooling environment. The temptation when you first make that transition is to simply create a classroom environment in your living room. De-schooling refers to the idea that both the student and the parent need to rethink how school would or should look and recognize that homeschooling looks very different from the traditional classroom they just left. And it's supposed to look different. And it's okay that it looks different. In fact, it's even preferred that it looks different. Often the process involves um, laying, this de-schooling process involves laying off formal curriculum for a bit, spending a lot of time outdoors, finding and getting connected to a homeschool community, spending some time at your local library, devoting a lot of time to reading, and maybe some hobbies or talents that your kids have, things like that. It's a time devoted to getting your head around the fact that school doesn't have to happen from nine to three. Education in a homeschool environment happens even outside the curriculum. And with the one-on-one teaching model, it doesn't take eight hours to do that. So that de-schooling process is just a period of time that a family sets aside to kind of make that mental transition and kind of decide what their homeschooling life is going to look like. So there is a very brief overview of some of the approaches and buzzwords you will hear in the homeschool world realize I have not done justice to any of these approaches and much, much more could and should be said for each one. We try to cover at least one approach in our annual Heritage Conference, which takes place this year, the last Saturday in February. We recently held a session on both the classical approach and the Charlotte Mason approach. If you know of anyone or you yourself would like to take one of these approaches or one of the approaches I didn't name, and speak at this year's AHC, please let me know. Even if it's an approach we already covered in the past, we would still want to cover it again from a different perspective because even Charlotte Mason people, all following Charlotte Mason approach, are going to approach it very differently. So hearing from multiple people following an approach is, is perfectly acceptable, and I would love to have that reflected in our annual Heritage Conference. If all this seemed really overwhelming and now you're thinking, wait, I have no idea which one I am. How can I possibly homeschool? (laughs) Please stop thinking that. Many people go through years and years of their homeschool journey and never consciously categorize themselves as anything. 
and that's totally fine. In the years to come, you may suddenly look at what you're using and realize an approach just kind of snuck up on you and that's where you lean, but you absolutely can homeschool without any of these labels. I just wanted you to have a very cursory understanding of some of these terms so you don't feel totally lost in what will inevitably come up in some of your homeschooling conversations. Moving on to the heritage happenings portion of the show. Well, if you haven't been on HSL lately, you haven't been on HSL. (laughs) Now that we have moved literally everything that you can possibly sign up for to HSL, classes, clubs, events, socials, field trips, everything, HSL is like one-stop shopping for what you want to add to your calendars this year, whether it's for students or parents. I'll just hit a few of the highlights for you. Um, The Music Academy starts up on Friday, September 8th with all the various levels of bands and choirs meeting then. After this week, all of our class days will be up and running. And of course, the academies have already been up and running for a couple of weeks now. We have a couple coffee meetups on the calendar and signups happen through HSL, of course. Look for coffee meetups in your area of town where you can sign up with some other moms from your area of town and me, and we just get together for fellowship to talk shop or not. You kind of dictate the direction of the conversation for those. We also have our first of what will likely be two mom bunco nights, the first one coming up on September 28th. This first one especially focuses on our new to HCS moms. So if you are a new mom here, I highly encourage you to come join us for a fun night of Bunko, where meeting new moms is super easy and super fun. If you're new, you don't have to bring anything. The rest of us will feed you. There are lots of field trips to sign up for and deadlines for all of them. So be sure to watch the newsletter and sign up in time for the field trips you're interested in. The very top of each weekly newsletter lists all the dates you need to know about, and deadlines are always written in red. So if you're reading the newsletter, what am I saying? Since you are reading the newsletter, you will never miss the opportunity to sign up for something you wanted to attend just by paying attention to those dates. There are both senior and sixth grade social events happening this month. You can find out more information about either of those on the website, in the newsletter, or on HSL. Also, the first of the three things that we need from all members is now open, and that is the course of study, referred to around here as COS, C-O-S. So if you see that, that's what we're talking about. COS is the course of study. This is completed in your SIS account, and a link to step-by-step instructions for filling this out may be found in the newsletter. If you attend EC Class Day, I will be able to help you on the 7th and the 21st. You can find me at the admin table, and we can fill it out together. We are also holding a COS open house in the office on Tuesday, September 26th. You can come by the office anytime between 10 and 3 and sit down with someone on staff to get help entering that. The deadline is October 3rd to have it entered. And there's late fees after that and your HSL account will be parked if it isn't done by then. So just be sure to get it done before October 3rd. It really is a fairly quick process. And after you do it once, you're going to realize that it's really not the project you may be making it out to be in your head. Well, that's it for this episode. Give yourself some grace as you acclimate to a new school year. Your calendars are likely filling up. And after coming off the lazy summer days, that is going to take a minute to get used to. 
Please avail yourselves of the many resources here at HCS, whether through mentorship, clubs, coffee meetups, academic advising, curriculum consulting, the lending library, or anything else that we have here to help you navigate your homeschool year. Let us know what you need and how we can help. Have a great week, everyone.